Once again, good evening to you, and it's a absolute delight to be out and able to worship our Lord uh, this evening. I uh, just got this note, uh, this text from Sam Scott. He says, I'm on my way to Arkansas. Leon's family contacted me and said he may not make it through the night, and so uh, I'll update this uh, when I know more. This refers to Leon White, who's been on our list uh, for some time. Many of you have already sent uh, cards uh, to that family, and so Sam is bringing us an update about Leon White. Leon White. Also, if you're around the back tables back right there, you might notice a teacher sign-up uh, list, and the, um, the schedule is made out for the rest of the year. Uh, during the fall and early winter, and uh, our little ones are studying in the book of Acts, so different scenes, different people being studied uh, in the book of Acts. And if you have an interest in being a teacher helper or uh, teaching a class, you might want to consult uh, that list uh, as well. This evening will be our group meeting time as uh, Houston's group uh, meets in here, I believe, and uh, Brother Nathan's group. Uh, meets uh, in the fellowship hall, uh, but we want to take uh, a few moments of study together. This morning we focused on the second coming, and this evening as well. The aspect we mentioned and, and emphasized this morning was the wrath of God at the second coming. When Jesus comes again, um, the wrath of God uh, for, for some people uh, will uh, come with him. On a much brighter note uh, this evening... When Jesus comes again, He will bring an announcement with Him. Uh, announcement. We are accustomed to announcements. Uh, we know um, we listen out for uh, marriage announcements and uh, birth announcements. Um, we listen closely uh, to those who are having an anniversary, an announcement along uh, those lines. Uh, we listen to... Uh, about job postings, about um, uh, professional teams um, trading uh, their players or uh, some of what the college teams do in recruiting. We, we uh, are accustomed to hearing announcements. We are real good at announcements uh, here at, at church. Sometimes those go, um, those kind of, those, those, there can be some funny things that happen in uh, church announcements. But uh, they're very necessary toward uh, getting things done. I think the, uh, the funniest one I remember about church announcements that was actually uh, said uh, from the pulpit was, um, those of you who have children and do not know it, there's a nursery downstairs. So, and I can kind of see how that would get messed up, just writing, you know. You may not know that there's a nursery available, but those of you who, who have children do not know it. There's a nursery uh, downstairs. But we want to know for our prophet this evening the fact that when Jesus comes again, he'll be making a big announcement, especially toward those who are faithful. And this announcement is divided into two parts. The first part is found in Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 where Jesus says, Whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. 
But he that denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father uh, who is in heaven. In 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul uh, says this. He says, um, he that denies Christ, um, uh, Christ will deny him. If we deny him, he will deny us, Paul says, 2 Timothy 2 and 12. Uh, Mark's recording is uh, Mark 8 and 38. Whoever, Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and, and um, wicked generation of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed uh, at his coming, at the coming of the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so we want to make sure that when Jesus comes again, that he confesses our name before the Father in heaven. And how can we make sure that he's going to do that? That's part one of thinking about Jesus making an announcement when he comes again. How can we be sure? Let's think about the definition. To confess means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. And so when we confess Christ, we acknowledge by our words and by our actions everything that He claimed for Himself. We acknowledge that by our words and our actions. And it's similar to what Peter said in Matthew 16 and verse 16. When Jesus was asking His disciples, Who do men say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, we confess that, we acknowledge all that Jesus claims as He is the Son of God, as He is the Messiah of the Old Testament uh, that was, who was promised. And everything that goes along with that in His Word, we acknowledge that uh, in our lives. Okay. Now, this commitment, this conviction that we have uh, comes from our teacher comes from our teacher. Our convictions are those of our teacher. Just that plain and simple. Our convictions are those of our master. It's just that plain and simple. This, this commitment, this conviction, first of all, it is necessary for our initial salvation. When we first come to Jesus, this confession, this commitment, this conviction is necessary. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 a tremendous passage uh, about Timothy. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold, lay hold on eternal life. By which or under which you were called. And about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And notice, Timothy is on his way to eternal life. But he was called to that eternal life, of course, by his hearing and submitting to the gospel. And part of that call, part of that initial process of becoming a Christian was that he had, he had confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Romans 10 and verse 10 says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I love the account of Philip and the eunuch. And as they come upon a body of the water, Philip having taught the eunuch about the Lord Jesus, the eunuch says, See, here is water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And um, Philip said, Well, if you believe, you may. 
And uh, the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they both went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. They came up out of the water. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. This is a similar episode to Timothy's and to Paul's uh, salvation, conversion experience. So this, this commitment, this conviction of the confession is necessary for initial salvation. But it's also necessary for our ongoing and ultimate salvation, you see. When we first come to Christ, we submit to Him. But as we live for Him, we continue to learn ways to submit to Him. When we first come to Jesus, we believe in Him. But as we continue to serve Him, we grow in our faith. We grow in our, in our belief. When we come, first come to Jesus, we, we turn from our sins and are baptized into Him for the remission of sins. Well, as we continue to live for Him, we, we keep that penitent heart. We, we keep on turning away from sin. Every time we fall, we get up and we, we repent. The only thing we don't keep doing is being baptized again and again. That's not required. Once we're baptized into Christ, we're there in Christ, but we must keep growing. And part of that is submitting to the Lord and growing in our faith and also confessing, confessing His name wherever we go. You see, whenever we refuse to acknowledge Jesus as who He is, then we are making a stand against Him. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 12 and verse 30. He said, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. And so those living for the world are just simply scattering their means, scattering their resources, scattering their bad influence all over the world, but they're not living for Christ. In 2 John, the book of 2 John, verse 7, John says, Whoever it is that confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh, that that one is a deceiver and also he's an antichrist. He set himself against Christ. And so confession to Christ and confession about Christ and commitment and conviction about him must continue as we live for him. You see, for us to profess an association with Jesus and yet also deny him, or if we're not giving our 100% effort to acknowledge him, be bold and speak up uh, for his cause, then, um, then we're making ourselves an enemy, really, of Christ. Remember the record of John uh, 12 42 and 43, where uh, he records that there were some in the synagogue, some Jews in the synagogue, who actually believed in Jesus. They had been, they had been moved by his teachings and by his, his miracles. They believed that he was who he claimed to be. But they would not profess it. They would not confess it. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They had a fear of the Jews. And then goes on to comment there in verse 43, they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. And so we see from from this instance that it's very important for us to continue if we're going to receive ultimate salvation. If Jesus is going to confess our name uh, before the Father in heaven on that fateful day, on that that, um, last day, then we must continue our conviction 
and bring up and to stand for uh, our conviction about Jesus, both by our words and our actions and lives. But you know what? This conviction we have about Christ is really just necessary because He's our friend. He is, he is our master. He is our teacher. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And what else would we do but to continue to acknowledge that He is who He is? And not let anybody tell us different. He is our friend. See, his cause is our cause. His life and what he stands for is now our life and what we stand for. We cannot reduce Christianity down to simply a a checklist of things to do and to think so that God will owe us salvation. That's not how it is not how it is. The words of our Lord are meant to create a conviction very deep in our lives so that we are drawn to the very heart of God and that we will just, by our second nature, just naturally stand up for our Lord. And so... The first part of this announcement is found here in Matthew 10 about Jesus confessing our name in heaven. The second part of this announcement that Jesus will make when he comes again is found in Matthew 25 and verse uh, 21. Matthew 25 and verse 21. Now notice, this is what we want to hear the Lord say. This is the announcement that we want him to make uh, to us, to each of us, when he comes again. Notice it. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Now every word in that statement is crucial to our faith. Notice he says, well done, well done. Those who follow Jesus are doers of the word and not hearers only, James 1, 22. Well done. Well done. Not well said. Not well said, but well done. Not just hearers, but doers of the word. And notice he says, well done, thou good, good. A long time ago, before Jesus comes, Sometime in our past, perhaps even right now, we, we choose to be on the side of God. We choose to be good. The only way to be good is to follow Him. We remember the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these are good, are good. And if we have lived these out in our lives, then the Lord will look to us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Those who wish to have Jesus announce well done to them will understand that everything that we have 
Everything that we enjoy is a resource from God. It belongs to God. And we are but stewards. And we are handling God's things. We're handling God's things. While we have a short time on this life, we're handling what He has provided for us. And we want to be faithful as we manage His resources. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Notice the word servant there. Tremendous word. Tremendous, great summary word for all that we try to be for Christ. You see, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we are not our, our own. We are not, we, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And that's, that's what we have seek to, to do. That's what we seek to do. That's what we have, would have sought to done to have done uh, all throughout the days of our life. And then when Jesus comes again, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been, he goes on to say, you've been faithful over a few things. Notice he says a few things, not everything, not everything. Uh, God doesn't expect us to be able to get to every situation in the world and spread the gospel, but he does expect us to get out and be involved in a few things, a few things. He says few is a relative term. He's not talking about three things. He's talking about in comparison to all the things that would need to be done for the gospel and for the cause of Jesus all across this huge wide world, you need to be involved in a few of those things all the days of your life and be faithful in that. Okay. You've been faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Can't we see... Sort of a picture of heaven there. When we get to heaven, we're going to be put in charge of different areas of service that we don't know anything about. We have no clue what it's going to be. We don't, we don't know all that heaven is going to be. We know it's going to be glorious. In fact, Jesus goes on to say here, Enter into the joy of thy Lord. But we're not going to be sitting around. God didn't make us to sit around. He made us as His servants. We will always be His servants. Whether in this life or in that which is to come, we will always be His servants. The Lord will always be Creator and we will always be the creation whether we're speaking of this life or in heaven up above. So He has things in store for us to do once we get there in the joy of our Lord. So notice this announcement from Matthew 25, 21. Now as all of you know, there is a background to Matthew 25, 21, and it is Jesus' parable of um, the talents. The talent. You had the five-talent person, the two-talent person, and the one-talent person. I'm going to rely on your knowledge of that uh, parable so that we can, we can make just a couple points here. Um, first, part of our being faithful is how we use our abilities and opportunities in service to the Lord. Now the talent mentioned in this parable, of course, is a piece of money. But the talent is given out according to people's different abilities. Okay. And so the one that had, um, was given five talents, uh, he went out and uh, in his industry, uh, he was able to double his resources. Same thing with the two-talent one, but the one-talent person of course, um, he went and buried his talent. He protected it, but he did nothing uh, with it. He's the one who was condemned on the final day. On the final day. 
So this, of course, this teaches us if we want to hear a positive announcement from the Lord, then we need to roll up our sleeves as we try to emphasize uh, with our group meetings and, of course, all throughout our time together. But we emphasize that uh, we're here to, to work uh, in the sight of, of our Lord. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. And, and Paul's words come to mind, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 58, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, uh, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your work in the Lord is not, never in, in vain. Now a principle comes from this. And that is, when we use our resources, whether it's our abilities and opportunities, etc., when we use our resources for God's purposes, then we're going to increase in His sight. But when we neglect to use our resources for God's purposes, then of course we decrease uh, in His sight. And this has a lot to do with how uh, the Lord um, regards us on that, on that last day. I love the passage from 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 that goes along with this principle. Notice Paul's words, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. He says, He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest unto righteousness. I love that verse. Love that verse. Look at that verse closely. Who is it that provides seed for the sower? Of course, the Lord does. The Lord does. And look beyond just the physical. Look, look at the fact that the Lord has provided the gospel, the seed of the kingdom. He has provided what we need to go out and to, to share the good news and to have what we need to grow uh, in Christ. He that provides seed for the sower, but he also provides bread for food. This represents the fact that when the Lord says, go share my word, or as he says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. When the Lord says, seek the kingdom first, when he says, go share my gospel, here's the promise behind it. He will provide bread for food. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about it. It's a tremendous promise. Let me read it again to you. He that provides seed for the sower... And bread for food. Notice this. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You see how that connects to the Matthew 25 principle that if we use our resources for God's purposes, that's an increase. If we neglect to do it, that's a decrease. The more we do in service for God, the more opportunity He's going to do He's going to give us to serve even more. And yet some people are trying to find ways to do less. Can you believe that? There are some people who are trying to find ways to get out of the work of the Lord. And may that never be said of us. Now, the one talent individual who on the day of reckoning is condemned by his master. He buries his talent. 
And it's possible for us also to bury our abilities, bury our resources and not use them for the Lord. He buried his talent in the story. He buries his talent in, in the earth. He digs a hole and puts it there so it'll be there later when the Lord returns. Notice three ways in which we can bury our talents or bury our resources for the Lord. And it's very similar to the one talent fellow here in the story. We can bury our resources beneath the earth of laziness. Laziness. In fact, this one talent fellow in the story is called a lazy or slothful fellow. The same thing can happen to us. Laziness creeps in to a life. Okay. But we must resist it. Of course we must. So I was looking for a, a verse that really pinpoints laziness or at least helps us to, to, um, to inspire ourselves to, to be energetic for the Lord. And I looked at Hebrews 6 and verse 12. Hebrews 6 and verse 12. And the instruction there is, don't be sluggish, but rather be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And once again, Hebrews 6 verse 12. Don't be sluggish. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. But be imitators of those who through faith and and patience inherit the promises. My favorite passage along this line is from Proverbs 6, probably yours too, and it says, uh, go to uh, the ants. Remember that? Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will surely come upon you. But notice the inspiration that the ants give us. Without being told... And this is the idea for, from God for Christians. Without having been told, okay, even if you don't have a ruler, if you don't have anybody over you in the Lord, then like this ant, we should be able to go and prepare our ways. We should be able to go and get the work done. So some will bury the resources underneath the earth of laziness. And then others, in second place, Others will bury uh, the resources beneath uh, the earth of ignorance. The earth of ignorance. And the reason we say this is that in the story of the talent, this one talent fellow, he looked to his Lord and he didn't really know his Lord. He looked to his master as someone who was hard, harsh, severe, and so he became afraid of him. He went and hid. Uh, his talent. Okay. Now there was no suggestion from the five talent and two talent uh, people that the Lord was harsh and severe. They just went and listened and did uh, the work. 
And so the problem with the one talent fellow was that he didn't know his Lord. Some folks look at the Lord Jesus as someone who keeps them from having fun or who keeps them from fulfilling all their uh, desires. But it's so not true. It's just so the very opposite. Listen to Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. The yoke, of course, is, the, is a plow or tool of plowing, of work. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We sing that song about those words, and then in that song we sing, I have found it so, I have found it so. When we learn of Jesus, notice what he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, we will see that what he has in store for us, we will see that the work He's given us to do is exactly what is fitting for our lives. But it's all about knowledge and perspective, isn't it? You see, John says in 1 John 5 and verse 3 that the commandments of Jesus are not grievous. Okay? They're not burdensome to us. They're exactly what we need. And we love the statement made in Deuteronomy 6 and 24 where the, the comment is made that the statutes, the commandments of God that cause us to fear Him are always for our good. Are always for our good. That, that makes a tremendous change in a person's thought patterns, I believe. I believe. A person can go from, hey, I've got to do this, to I get to do this. It's a tremendous shift uh, in how we consider and how we approach our Lord. And it's a necessary shift. Okay. Going back just a minute to our, our thought uh, leading down to this thought. But remember, uh, we stand up for the Lord not just because we want salvation, but because He is indeed our friend. He is indeed our Savior. And because of who He is, because... Because I have drawn near to Him, and because He's drawn near to me, for that reason alone, I'm going to stand up for Him. I'm going to be with Him. He is mine and I am His. His cause is my cause. And that's the, that's the level of commitment we've got to get to. And, and right here, as we, as we think about this one talent fellow, he's looking at his Lord as hard and severe. How wrong that is of our Lord, we know. How wrong that is. Because He's our Creator, He knows exactly what we need to be doing. He knows the things of the world that we're missing out on are not for our good. He knows what the Father knows best. And in this case, the Son knows best as well. And so sometimes we bury our resources under the earth of laziness or ignorance, but also under the earth of fear. And this may be the turning point or this may be the key of understanding the parable of the talents is this fellow, the one talent fellow was, was afraid. He says that. He says, I was afraid. I was afraid and went and hid uh, your talent. Of course, you know that 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. But the latter part of that verse is key. 
He has given us a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. The power that we have comes from the gospel. The love that we have comes from God and His love Himself. And that's a powerful combination, the gospel and the love of God. Just think if those two things are dominating our hearts, if the gospel and the love of God, if those two things are dominating our minds, then we will have a sound mind and there will be so much less fear. So much less fear. Some people are afraid as they work for Christ that they'll make some mistake and then they'll end up doing more harm than good. Get rid of that notion. That is, that's not a legitimate excuse. In fact, that's a lack of faith. That's a lack of faith. You see, God is good at taking our measly little efforts, okay, even our mistakes, and He can make gold out of that. And so for us, we continue to do the best we can. We're not going to make mistakes on purpose, but we are going to make some mistakes. But so be it. The Lord knows we're trying to serve Him, and He can take that and and turn that into a great production. You don't believe me? Look at this example. In Matthew 27, 19, you know, there were several people who stood up for the righteousness and the innocence of Jesus. One was Pilate himself, a vicious man, as most of these rulers in Jesus' day were. Vicious man. Pilate again and again says, I find no fault in this man. But look at Pilate's wife, Matthew 27, verse 19. She tells Pilate, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much in a dream because of him. And notice how this is, this is the wife of a very unrighteous ruler. And God is using her to speak up for the Son of God. If God can use that lady to speak up for the Son of God, can't He use my little old measly efforts as well? Sometimes we're just afraid we're going to make a mistake. Let's perish that thought. Sometimes we're afraid of what others might think of us. Well, shame on us for that. Shame on us for that. Are we going to live our lives in accordance with what other people think? Other people think. I think not. Remember that example we showed from John 12, 42 and 43, where it says there were some Jews that believed on Jesus, but they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. And for fear of the Jews, they would not publicly confess their faith whatsoever. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So some are afraid of what others think about them. Some are afraid of what's going to happen to them. What's going to happen to them. Now, I don't know what to say about this. I, I don't know. It's supposed to be just common knowledge that those who follow Christ are willing to die for Him in their walk with Him if it need be. If it need be. If we are afraid of what's going to happen to us, and therefore we back off from doing what's right, then what is there to say about that? In Revelation 12, verse 11, notice this statement about the early Christians. Revelation 12, verse 11. They overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even unto death. That is the key to the faithfulness of the early disciples, and it's also the difference between them and us oftentimes. When Jesus comes again, he will make this big announcement. Part of the announcement is he will confess our name before the Father in heaven. The second part is he will look to us, those on his right hand, he will say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that you want to be part of those on his right hand. I do too. I want to hear those words. And you do too. And if there's something that we can study this evening further to help you to have this assurance, if there is prayer that we need to have uh, to help each other have this assurance, if there is further obedience that you need to carry out uh, in your life uh, to have this assurance, we invite you this evening, right now, as we stand together, as we sing.